is Irish Illustrated Insider. It's Monday, May 16th. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated, joined once again by Pete Sampson from The Athletic. Uh, guys, it, it seems like everywhere you look and everywhere you turn, Marcus Freeman is somewhere doing something <laughs> that that people are noticing. I found it interesting that uh, I think one of our subscribers says, are you concerned that Marcus Freeman is you know, working too much and spreading himself too thin, which we never had that question with a previous head coach. Um, but I just found it a little bit ironic that, uh, that somebody would bring that up and he is everywhere and doing everything. He is, uh, last week I actually tagged along a little bit, uh, with him. I went down to Tampa and Hilton head for his two events on Monday, Tuesday, it kind of runs together at this point, but, um, I'll be writing about that experience this week. Uh, but I, I asked him, like, is this, like, too much or a lot? Or how do you sort of view your schedule? And he's just like, he said on the Monday, he went into the office about noon, hopped on a private plane, went down to Tampa, met a donor at the airport, did the event, spent the night, met some more donors, flew to Hilton Head on private jet again, did that event, and then the next morning flew back to South Bend. I, I think that... Uh, People underestimate how nice a private jet is um, and how much that actually cuts down on the time uh, that you feel like you're spending on the logistics of travel. Yeah, I think uh, when you when you say it that way, it sounds a lot more appealing than uh, getting into the office and making recruiting calls for 16 straight hours, too, I would, I would say. And, I, and I'm sure some recruiting calls were made from the private jet and he let them know where he was where he was when he made the recruiting yep. call. Uh, we talked about that. Um, he said he I asked him. Like how much, like what's the recruiting schedule for you? And he said he tries to do about like 10 a day, whether that's a parent or a player or a coach, like somebody in the influential uh, decision-making process. But he says you can do about 10 a day and have it be substantial uh, and not feel like you're just sort of like, yes, hello, nice to talk to you. Goodbye. Talk to you later. Um, You could actually have a meaningful conversation. Well, and his his coaching staff uh, is is under orders. Tim, as as you witnessed with Al Washington the day we met all the assistant coaches, I mean, yeah. you've got stuff to do, Al. Let's go. Uh, and so I'm sure that I'm sure the assistant coaches are on. Uh, you know, when he's away and he's only, you know, when he's when he's communicating via private jet to to ten people, he's got a staff that's working hard as well. Uh, I think we all had an opportunity to see his interview with Lou Nani. Uh, from University of Notre Dame, and uh, Pete, you said that you you had heard that Jay Z line um, before, uh, actually yeah. a year ago, and, and it struck you, it struck me the same way it did you. I hadn't heard that line, and it was like I'm gonna I'm going to include this in my Thursday <laughs> thoughts because that's taking a situation and applying it to a recruit and maximizing the situation um, with a recruit. I, I remember when he said it, he was, I mean, he was still defensive coordinator. He came out of the podcast I do over at the athletic and when he said it, I was just like, that is the greatest take on four for 40. I have ever heard. Um, my jaw hit the floor when he said it. So I was like, this guy gets how to communicate and move in different spaces, which is one of the reasons I wanted to sort of be in the room when he was doing these alumni events, because it's just, it's a different space for him to be in. And he's such a he's such an excellent communicator. I was curious how he would sort of moderate or modulate that uh, 
the way he communicated. But yeah, the Jay Z thing was just like, oh yes, this is this is something that Brian Kelly never ever could have said for so many obvious reasons, but Marcus Freeman just nailed. I man, my takeaway from it was the how I bris I would have bristled long ago at this if a fan said it, and maybe even if a coach said it, but not when Marcus Freeman said it because I know what it means. When he said, we're number one in the country, I don't want to be number one in the country Wednesday, May 11th. I thought I was going to hear him say, I want to be number one in the country January 10th. When he said it was December that he wanted to be number one in the country, I was like, well, to be honest, that's how you get to be number one in the country on January 10th. You're well, number one in a couple straight Decembers. But I, I remember thinking years ago, like, telling me who's number one in the country. is now in recruiting on this day. It matters more who's going to be number one in the country. Turns out that's why Alabama and Georgia get to be number one in the country. I know there's exceptions. Clemson was never number one in the country for their for their uh, titles, but boy, you can see it on the field what number one well, in December means. I, I think because he was speaking specifically about recruiting, that's yes. why he said December. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure if they beat Ohio State and they finish September, you know, undefeated and ranked number one in the country, he'll refer to the January 10th or whatever the date is. But uh, anyway, uh, Marcus Freeman is is a busy man. And yes, that private jet makes it a lot easier than we, you know, really, Pete, like then we picture in our heads. It's like, OK, he went down there and he went here and he went here. How in the world? You know, it's it's pretty rapid fire travel as um, when you're on that yeah. schedule. My schedule was get up, drive to O'Hare wait at the gate for two hours, fly to Tampa, go to the, go see Keon Keeley, go to the event, get up at five in the morning, drive to the airport, fly to Charlotte, fly to Hilton head, then fly the next day from Hilton head to Charlotte, back to O'Hare, drive back to South Bend. And guess what? I got sick immediately. Um, He's not, he's, he's good. He's good with the private jet. He's not picking up and dropping off uh, rental cars. (laughs) At the, at no, the airport. No, none of that. <laughs> not standing in line. Uh, He's not driving anywhere. Like, no. When when he did the Chicago event on Thursday, they flew to Midway from South Bend. Beautiful. I'm sure that took about 12 minutes. Yeah. Not too bad. Well, hey, um, since last week, Nordame received a verbal commitment from Sullivan Absher who's a real mauler uh, listed offensive tackle. I recently did something about all the guys that have been listed offensive tackle and not all of them end up there. And certainly Sullivan Absher could uh, right tackle, but Nordame's in on some other people, Charles uh, Jagusa for one. I just kind of speculated that if they got Jagusa and Freeling, who I really like uh, Kevin Sinclair likes Freeling a lot too, that maybe then Absher would, would bump inside, um, to guard you I think you have options there with him just what are your thoughts on on that commitment and that um Sullivan Absher joined Sam Pendleton as the first two offensive line commits uh, to Harry he stand and he stands return but they're certainly not done there what are your thoughts on Sullivan Absher I I think it's most interesting as a trend commitment as it relates to Clemson because I feel like Notre Dame is rattling Clemson's cage a little bit with offensive line recruiting. And that's a, that's sort of the equivalent of wide receiver for Notre Dame for them. Like they know they need to get a lot better and Notre Dame's just going down to the Carolinas, especially when you get Monroe Freeling potentially as well. Those are, those are three guys Clemson really had to have. Um, And Notre Dame's just like drinking their milkshake uh, and, you know, getting these guys up to South Bend. So it's, it's impressive to me that that's, what's interesting to me about is the Clemson dynamic. I hadn't really thought about Absher moving inside as much just because 
I tend to look at the class in front. Um, Billy Shrouth, Joey Tonona, it seemed like they're going to be inside. Ashton Craig seems like he's going to be inside. But, Tim, you, make, it, it, you make a very good point with it because you can't – somebody I just said, including Chan Wagner, those guys, isn't going to be a hit. <laughs> it's just the way the world works it, when you recruit five Osmonds alignments. So the versatility of him moving inside and being a athletic guard, right, that he becomes an athletic guard at that size – that is what you really see when the offensive lines are at their best. It's not like this guy has to play inside because we have such good tackles, but I'm not sure he's a fit in there. This is when you could have athletic <laughs> guards to go with athletic tackles. That's the new era of great of, of beating Clemson and Alabama and Georgia and Ohio state, not just mauling USC. Yeah. And you know, I mean, I, I, again, I want to reiterate, I certainly think that he can play right, play right. Oh, tackle, sure. yeah, yeah. But I did see a a, a play or two, a, a, an outside zone play or two, where I just had some question in my mind as to whether he could get outside on certain plays. I know Tommy Reese wants to, you know, continue to emphasize that 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 part. And but I I was also kind of big picturing with, with Jagusa and, and Freeling, and I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit with with those guys, uh, especially Freeling. But um, no, I like Absher, and I. You know, he's kind of a he's kind of a bull in the china shop a little bit out there. And that's why I would also say maybe guard as mm-hmm. well. But it's a good catch for Nordane. Pendleton's definitely your interior, uh, an interior offensive lineman. Uh and recruiting is man, recruiting is at the forefront every day. And while we're talking about that, uh Tom Lloyd from 24-7 Sports put out a story yesterday and just kind of gave a little update as to where Nordame is with Dante Moore. I think the key here is when 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 we heard that he wouldn't be visiting on June 10th because he's in a seven on seven, that's a real red flag there. But they are apparently uh planning another sizable recruiting weekend the next weekend. They need to get him here. On, on that weekend, June 17th. And they, I mean, my sources expect that he'll be there. Yes. So with that, with that in mind, like every time I ask someone around Notre Dame, how do you feel about it? I feel really good. There's no, there's no hesitation about it. Um, I think the Oregon stuff that I had talked about in this podcast has kind of come and gone now. Um, you know, that was a concern for a hot minute, but they're, they feel good about it. Um, now it's just get getting over the finish line. So in the reading into it, things late scratch would be a bad sign. Yes, yeah, I would say okay. so. Yeah, okay. <laughs> like the Derby. Yeah, like the Derby that I didn't have a number twenty-one horse <laughs> available to the people that we were gathering with, so we had to take second, third, and fourth place. I was at a party where that same same you, scenario. And that same you, thing happened. You just watch as a fan. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I kept because I kept watching. I don't want to get into that, but I'd ne- I'd never known that they replaced a scratched horse before. Right. No, I, I have. Yeah. I have spent a fair amount of time around a track, and I'd never seen that. I didn't know when they started doing that. Nor that would it. Nor would you think that that scratch yeah. horse would come in and uh, make right. one of the more memorable wins in the history. Yeah, no, no doubt. Race. Okay, too much derby talk at this point. But Dante <laughs> Moore, no, I think that that is. Uh, and Pete, I agree with you about. Uh, I was, you took the words out of my mouth. I think in terms of Oregon, I think that that the major threat there has passed. Um, you know, and and so hopefully that's the case for Notre Dame. But uh, Dante, 
Like uh, Marcus Freeman traveling during the spring and summer, Dante Moore's name is in the news every day when it comes to recruiting. And, you know, I mean, if ultimately Moore ends up with Notre Dame, you view these past couple months a little bit differently. Uh, kids want to make trips, uh, and, and especially with NIL now, yeah. that's that's yeah. a different factor that's involved with it. But at the end of the day, all that matters is that Dante Moore ends up signing with Notre Dame, and that will show that he was committed to to the cause um, right from the beginning. Tim, go ahead. I was going to say the old uh, – we've talked about this before, but and it doesn't apply to a great prospect like that, but the old if you're looking, we're looking thing, that's, that cannot be part of recruiting life anymore i mean you could be annoyed all you want but it's yeah. going to happen you just can't you have to i never even got that you you should be checking out your options your five options you should and you should be having fun when you're doing it it's a strange it's different if you're committed and you're taking trips but i don't hear here's I'm the saying, other thing you you now know that while dante moore is taking these trips and talking to these people you now know that every day he is in constant communication with notre dame because you know that marcus freeman and his that's staff will make sure that that is point. true that's a great point. Which is something that you assumed you assumed that you didn't know whether there was actually going to be contact with Dante Moore Never on a regular that. basis yeah. or, why, or why we did. Know, insert whatever prospect A or B or X or whatever. But um, yeah, so you look at things a little bit differently. Is Logan Diggs going to play football for Notre Dame next year? I don't, I don't understand what the deal is here. Um, <laughs> partially because his shoulder is jacked up. Like he's not going to be playing for anybody for a minute. Uh, so I, I, I don't, I don't know too many programs that are taking transfers from injured players. I, uh, I don't have a thought on Logan Diggs playing for USC last year. I do have a thought that people that are mad about him posting the, the shirt of a rival have to understand that Logan Diggs found out Notre Dame and USC were rivals Monday of the USC game last year <laughs> because it's the only one Brian Kelly acknowledges. The U- he does acknowledge the USC rivalry. He brought it up, I'm sure, Monday. And Logan Diggs had just played against Virginia Tech, so he was probably pretty excited to listen to Brian Kelly for the first time all year because he just debuted and he was ready to go play football. There is no chance he has ever watched a Notre Dame-USC game. Well, be that as it may. Why would he have? Why would he have in Louisiana? First of all, they didn't play in 2020. Yeah, but what, 2019, but, who cares where he's played USC if you live in Louisiana? You don't even know those why, teams are. But why is there a picture of him out there in a USC jersey? Just, because well, it's, it's, I mean, he figures it will just, stir people up and he gets kicked out of that? Yeah, I think it's just... <sighs> I just think people like to do dumb things sometimes. <laughs> we have to get used to it. It's just... I, I really just believe... I, I never, ever... I'll, all right, two things. I never care what a 21-year-old posts on social media because it does not have anything to do with Notre Dame's football program usually. It's usually a lyric or something. Yes. Everybody misses. And number two, if you tell me Logan Diggs is going to transfer to USC, I go, yeah, that probably makes sense. So I, I guess I'm okay with yeah, that. Yeah, I, I, I guess my... And I have no idea. But I no, guess my right. point is that we knew... We knew how hesitant Logan Diggs was to be verbally committed to Notre Dame. Yeah. If At Chris Tyree point. did it, I'd be like, he's way more mature than that. What are you doing? Like, why would you do something like if that? Jadarian Price did that. Right. Yeah. But, this, I yeah, but I don't, but I don't, yeah, I don't think Jadarian Price would do that. From no, I don't, no, I don't either. Minute. Right. If one of you called me for no good reason to tell me about Logan Diggs' Snapchat picture, and you said, guess which Notre Dame player posted <laughs> a picture of you, saying, well, let's see. Well, I don't know, was it Diggs, maybe? I don't know. It would be something along those lines. You would have been in your top five yes, anyway. Yeah. Well, um, 
Well, okay, uh, Pete, I'm sure USC would take Logan Diggs today, injured or not. I think that they probably would. Um, I just, I mean, you would do it just for the he sake would, of having him. And yeah, but like he's that. not getting any reps there. I no, I, I realize that not now, you know? but I mean, you know, I mean, in a, he'll be running around here and in like October. Okay, well, I you know they, they play games in November. They do, they yeah. do, and they, and they will play games. Next beyond time. the 2022 season. So right. that's all I'm saying. All right. I want to wrap up segment one, uh, Notre Dame, uh, or, or Notre Dame will be finding out with where Owen Wafel. it's not waffle everybody. It's all right. All right. Owen, Owen Wafel, um, the defensive lineman from the Hunt school, Princeton, New Jersey, he will be making a decision at 3 PM Eastern time on Monday. I think we all um, have an inkling as to where we suspect that he will end up. I want to say that I love this kid. I love this prospect. He is he is over the top combination of physical and mobile. He's only 16 years old. He, you would swear he's in his early 20s when you see him hit people. I don't know what position he plays exactly, and that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Because he apparently has uh, his dad is six 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 seven. He's going yeah, to continue. Yeah, I saw that picture. Holy yeah, cow! He's going to continue to grow. Uh, whether that actually leads to strong side defensive end at Notre Dame or inside, I I just think you can do a lot of things with Owen Wafel. He is the class of twenty twenty four. We have a question later about. Um, to paraphrase, who would you want to be one of the first guys off the bus representing Notre Dame? I would want Owen Wafel to be one of those representatives down the road. I mean, their defensive line recruiting without Washington has been—it's unbelievable it's off the it? charts. It's just... And and like Elston gets plenty of credit for this too, because you know Keon Keeley and Brennan Vernon. Yeah. Yes, especially after um, watching Keon Keeley practice in person just for an hour that Notre Dame does not have anybody like him on the roster. Isaiah Foskey included. Um, I believe that his arms are like down to his knees. He's got like natural muscle definition, all of that. But like the talent that they're assembling at defensive line right now from Elston now into Washington <laughs> is very, very impressive. Like, so, I mean, you're you're in the conversation with the teams that are winning in the college football playoff the way Notre Dame is recruiting that position. I know they lost the – I'm going to overstate this. I know they lost to Alabama because they didn't have what Alabama had on the outside, but they got to play Alabama because they had almost what Alabama had on the inside, and this can get them to have what Alabama really had on the inside. Yeah. Like, we watched that game – and you saw Barmore, and you're like, "Oh my gosh, this is just what I mean. What is going on here? The, the, you know, he could just always—that's what you need. You need a bunch of them. Defensive line's always yeah. been the most important thing to stay close, and it can take over games too." I wasn't fully aware of Barmore until December when I started looking at film. Oh, the film was—I like, was like, "You got to be kidding me!" This is—I <laughs> didn't really—I yeah. wasn't aware of him either, and it was just great. There is no chance of winning because the only chance was to bludgeon them up front yeah. and there was no way of bludgeoning them now pete i'm sure in person because I, what you said about keely you can see that on film you you can absolutely see that and as we wrap up segment one after bringing up wayful 
His coach said he has a wingspan of six foot ten. We're talking about a sophomore, <laughs> a sophomore oh, in high school. So I mean, he clearly is not. He's not done growing. He has size seventeen feet, and you would never know that watching his footwork uh, on the defensive yeah. line, whether aligned inside or outside. I think he's a pretty special player, and uh, I think we're all anticipating that he verbally commits in our name. Uh, Monday afternoon. We'll be back. Segment two, burning up the boards. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com slash support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics. This is segment two of Irish Illustrated Insider. We call it Burning Up the Boards. We start with a question from Martin Evenflow. Is Jerome Bettis getting enough credit nationally for going back and completing his education? Maybe the thought of seeing through a promise isn't held in high regard anymore, but what he has done is truly a rare accomplishment that shows true determination. I mean, I agree with the rare accomplishment that throws shows determination for a guy that didn't need to go back, but I've, I've heard a lot of stories about Jerome Bettis <laughs> yes. going back. I can't imagine. I maybe we're in a, a world of course that focuses on that, but I, I feel like he's getting plenty of credit and he's a likable guy and, He's been on the news a lot. His, the Today Show came and filmed yeah, one of his right, classes. Right, right, right. Yeah. Now, I, 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 the second part, I just it, it is something that not a lot of people want to do after you're that accomplished in life because you yeah. just don't need to do it. I mean, it's an awesome story. It's um, tremendous. And yeah, it's. I mean, you, Tim, you've talked to him more than I have, but it's just like I'm so impressed by sort of his energy about it. Um, and I, I thought it was one thing that I heard about is like. You know, he came back because multiple reasons, but one of them that I hadn't heard until recently was he was sort of getting tired of being passed over for like board positions. Like he's running businesses and should be on boards, but sort of got passed over because he wasn't a college graduate. And he's just like, I'm freaking filling this box. And so I don't, I don't have to hear this a single time uh, again. So it's, I mean, the whole story is amazing. And I think that has been told multiple times in multiple ways. It was very cool. Like if anybody wasn't getting enough credit, it's probably Stefan Tuit, who has just been sort of thrown in as like, oh yeah, he also came back and got his degree this week. <laughs> no, that's a that's a great point because Stefan Tuit is in the midst of things coming back and getting his degree. Right. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think and and Bettis, first of all, I mean, I knew him when he was a was a kid and his personality is I mean, he's just always been a fun loving guy that reaches out to people and enjoys talking to people we've seen numerous instances where he you know, on campus this past spring um yeah it's a great story but i don't think i can't imagine there are too many college football fans that are unaware that jerome bettis came back and, and completed his <laughs> i mean he was he was, at basket, he was at basketball games in the student yeah. section for big games yeah. like everyone had a chance to see him and also not the type of guy to wear a usc sweatshirt around campus i bet definitely, no no bet. Yeah. definitely not question from irish gambler what short-term and long-term implications 
do you see for Notre Dame as the ACC considers a three five five schedule format just for everybody? Uh, that is where a team will have the same opponent, same three opponents every year, and then they'll alternate five and five in each of the next two years. What, I mean, I haven't really given it a whole lot of thought as to what impact it will have on Notre Dame. I don't anticipate it really changing a whole lot for Notre Dame, but I, I haven't really delved into it or given a lot of thought or asked many questions about it. It shouldn't, um, you know, talking to some of my colleagues who are a little more plugged into this on the ACC front, like there was a frustration in the ACC, like that, you know, you had the Wake Forest, North Carolina non-conference game. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, this is ridiculous. That is um, ridiculous. You're like, if you are Boston College and Pittsburgh don't play, like that doesn't make any sense. Um, the fact, and I, I, I was talking to an ACC head coach recently and we were talking about this and I said like, why like it it makes no sense to me that your players play Notre Dame more than their own conference <laughs> opponents and he's like it may he just threw up his hands like it makes no sense um so the impact on Notre Dame is minimal i think it just it eliminates something that was annoying and unnecessary within the league itself and if they if you eliminate the conference divisions, divisions that's which they yeah, probably right. will then the ACC championship game becomes a lot more watchable for the league, which is good for the conference overall. So you don't have an eight and four team playing right. for the yeah for the ACC championship. And that was my biggest takeaway from the ACC is you got you, you most you don't need this for most honestly. I mean, the, the, just having a one and two play is so much more well, valuable. Well, and what about a, the? I mean, the SEC has divisions, and it's I been a I, you know while too that I mean. This year okay. mattered, but. First of all, I will, as it relates to Notre Dame, understand that the commissioner of the AC is, ACC is Jim Phillips, who was an assistant, maybe associate athletic director at Notre Dame for several years, and I'm sure is not in a position where he's going to do anything that puts Notre Dame in a, in a bad spot scheduling-wise. I believe he was in town for graduation. I yeah, I mean, Jim just graduated. From yeah, Notre Dame. Jim, Jim Phillips. Uh, Everybody's in town for graduation. Yeah, times. <laughs> Phillips has an ear out for Notre Dame's needs. Let's just let's just put it that way. Yeah. Next from not J to fell one, which of these two 11 and one Notre Dame teams would have a better chance of getting to the playoff? The first one lose to Ohio State in the opener with a losing margin similar to the spread. But then ND wins out. The spread, by the way, is about ten and a half. Or number two, close win against Ohio State, but a loss to an average team at home, such as Cal or Boston College. And he said average bad team. And I think there could be a difference there in average. Well, bad bad team is Cal. Average to above average is BC. Right. Um, I don't think timing matters as much as it used to. Is my first chime in with BC. Yeah, no, I I agree with you there. I mean, I think a loss to Cal would be, that'd be a really bad loss. Yeah, I would stunt all the momentum of your Ohio State win. Yeah, Boston College is, I mean, Jeff Halfley's got it going on. They're on there. Yeah, they're on the upswing. They've got a quarterback. And and, uh, so I would probably say losing, did the line go down to 10 and a half? I thought it was 13 and a half. If you beat Ohio State and Clemson, you could lose to Boston College. Right. And beat well, USC. That's, well, that's true. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You know, and the other thing we always throw out these hypotheticals, but what about the rest of the landscape at the top of the 
right top right. of the chart. I mean, you can't you can't just look at Notre Dame in a vacuum and, and analyze it based upon this criteria. I think I, you can do assume two undefeated teams, maybe at most. That's maybe how we could try true, to get it. Yeah, true. yeah, definitely at most. Yeah, at most you can't. Yeah. yeah, I I would disagree with O'Malley a little bit on the timing aspect of it, just in the sense if if you told me that Notre Dame finished in three of its last four games, they beat Clemson, they beat Boston College, and they beat USC on the road. Like if they go, if they have an undefeated November, I think the timing of that will matter. Um, you know, I, this would be an interesting question for a future podcast. And we have a lot of them. What would in the, if Notre Dame went 11 and one, where, what is the most advantageous or the least harmful one? Well, a close loss to Ohio State, and then you then you win your last eleven. You're you're probably in the playoffs. Yeah. What about- I would I would rather beat I would rather them beat Ohio State. One loss, Ohio State. Beat one loss, Ohio State. That yeah, would be cute. Um, That'd be giant. And if they went eleven and one, and the one was BYU, I was just going to say BYU is the best loss because you, I'm always stealing your ideas. Around. The pelt of Ohio <laughs> of one you can't now you can't beat three loss Ohio State and say hey we beat three loss Ohio State. Yeah, but. Well, that's what I was going to say. If Boston, State. you know, Boston College goes eight and four, or let's say Boston College goes nine and three, and you beat them. Okay, well then that's a right. That's a notable. That's, still, that's a top twenty-five win. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, well, my my good... point about the uh, timing is, it just used to be an absolute death knell for Notre Dame. I yes. agree with you. It's yeah. better, but I think, and my point of the timing is more like because the schedule is backloaded. If you're a, if you that would be a clear wow. Notre Dame is crescendoing here yeah no doubt because they beat clemson bc and usc three three and four weeks so let me ask you guys everywhere i look i keep seeing these quote not too early stuff which (laughs) you know that phrase drives me crazy uh i keep seeing notre dame like preseason six in the country don't you think that's a little high well, yeah. you're going by what is everybody else? I mean, you could, I could easily talk myself into that. You said preseason four. I'd be like, I mean, come on. Like, you know what I'm saying? There's well, so preseason number six is is eleven and one during the regular season. Correct. It is. It was last year. It is this year. You're right. I mean, it is most years. Yeah. So that's. I mean, that's some pretty good. That's some pretty good work done there by uh, the first year head coach. And look, I, I don't. I mean, the team that Notre Dame has coming back, I think, is capable of being eleven and one. I, the learning curve I, is for Marcus Freeman, right? Not what he's inheriting because he inherited a program. You've heard me say this a million times: a program that's won fifty-four times, and the strength of this team appears to be the offensive and defensive line. All right, I, let's put it this way: what if they were kept showing up at number ten or eleven, and then you start I, looking at those teams in front of you, like, wait a minute, why is that team in front of them? That, no, I think that maybe. would come into it too, right? But uh, yeah, here. Yeah, uh, here I am talking about, you know, rankings, and I don't know what everybody else has either. I don't know. I just consistently see people listing them like a number five or number six. I'm like, whoa, man. I mean, yeah, the expectations guess- on Marcus Freeman as a first year head coach. That's- let's let's say they go 10 and two and they lose at the last in the fourth quarter, Ohio State and Clemson. There could be the sixth best team of the country still, but not be ranked there. No, right? that's true. That's true. And at that point, of course, the committee is voting, and yeah. and they would take that into account. Yeah. Right, right. 
you wouldn't get in, but you could be considered the sixth or seventh best team in the country. Right, right. Question from Sigals: More likely to happen, Clarence Lewis leads the team in interceptions, or Braden Lindsey leads the team in receiving touchdowns? There's a second one here, but we'll start with that one. Lewis, I'll go with Lewis. Yes, for sure. Michael Mayer's <laughs> on Notre Dame's team. Yeah, yeah. I think Michael Mayer's probably good for. Breaking his own record. It's already in Monday record. Yes, exactly. Um, You know, although Clarence Lewis certainly will have opportunities because they'll be throwing his way, (laughs) but um, you know, I don't know about that. I don't know. I I have to agree with the title. I don't think Lindsay's going to lead the team in receiving. No, I didn't know. And the other scenario by Sigils is Riley Mills leads the team. I think this is easier. Riley Mills leads the team in sacks or Audrick estimate leads the team in rushing touchdowns. Isaiah Foskey's going to lead the team in sacks. Yeah, right. We we have the three sack image in our head of Riley Mills. Yeah, I think I he's going to be really good because he's too. But let's he's get, a physical let's beast. But he's but Isaiah Foskey, <laughs> and and frankly, I think Justin Adamalola will have yeah probably have more sacks than Riley Mills. Maybe. I think Jason I might know. start getting home and getting sacks because he has so many pressures all the time. There's. Yeah. Yeah, I think I would say Estime, especially, you know, we don't know exactly how they're going to use Estime, but you can conceivably certainly see him being the guy on the goal line. Sure, sure. And this is a question you couldn't say, but last year saying that about Estime would just be foolish. Always look how big this guy is. Now he could easily be the guy on the goal line. Chris Tyree's probably not your guy on the goal line. Nope. Yeah, Logan Diggs is at USC, so it's like you got to get the filler. (laughs) (laughs) The joke. I'm glad you clarify. We have to clarify everything. Why don't you guys like Jadarian Price enough? I, you guys didn't mention him on the podcast. Okay, sorry. There's, that could happen. Love him. I yeah. frankly, I wouldn't be. I would not be shocked if Jadarian Price led the team in rushing. I'm not saying he will. I'm saying no, I, would I wouldn't not be shocked. shocked. I wouldn't be shocked yeah. either. I would be shocked if Estimate led the team in rushing because we know what we definitely know what Dylan McCullough thinks of Jadarian Price. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And he, and Dylan McCullough's opinion on Jadarian price is not only Dylan McCullough's opinion. Like there are I'm other sure. coaches who feel the same way. I'm sure. Well, I, yes, I, I do know that for a fact as well. From KJ Millatime, Do you have an estimate for Avery Davis and Joe Wilkins recovery time? Pete, I don't know if you've heard anything specifically. I mean, Joe Wilkins is, have you? Uh, no, it's just funny. I, um, this is a long story, but, uh, do you know those recruiting videos where Marcus Freeman was at the barbershop? Um, yeah. Tate, my eight-year-old, uh, saw those videos and thought that barbershop looked like the coolest thing in the world. So now I take him to get his hair cut there. All right. And there are always three football players there. When well, it is, I see, take it is the coolest place in the world. Yeah. And one of them was Joe Wilkins uh, this week, and he was still was on crutches and a cast. So that's my Joe Wilkins injury update. <laughs> um, I go by Liz Frank and wide receiver and everything else that has to be. I don't expect, I think Joe Wilkins might come back for another year next year because he yeah, barely I, plays half of this year. I mean, yeah, I felt we're, like we're, we're two months, two and a half months away from the injury and he's still on crutches. Like that doesn't for a skill position player. That's a little, that, yeah. I, well, that's Liz, a, that's Liz Frank for you. Yeah. You know, it's, it, I, I, that's worse than ACL today. It is. I, yeah. I, I, yeah. But it, I mean, I, you know, realizing everybody's different, but, and I'm basing this upon, I thought Avery Davis was moving around quite well at the end of spring practice yeah he was for sake of reference he was always involved in the uh stretching 
Um, so was Jason Adamiola, but that makes sense because he had a shoulder injury. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Avery Davis was always doing the, and I shouldn't say stretching, it's aerobic stretching. He's running, you know, trotting up and down the field. That was in March. So, right. Would, and he did some, like, he did some, like, solo simulated, not full speed, right? Little route running and uh, while the other receivers were doing the full speed stuff. So, um, I mean, I would, I would agree with you, P. I mean, I, Wilkins is because of the, the, the nature of the injury, that's going to be really difficult. I think Avery Davis is going to, going to be fine. Uh, but I don't know that for sure. I didn't have anybody validate that for me. CMU Penns fan, which players from who you saw in the spring are in most need of big body upgrades from summer workouts? We all have the same number one, right? Uh, Two freshman, not- very lean. Jaden Mickey? No, I was thinking Jaden Bellamy. Yeah. Oh, go by No, I have go by too. Yeah, go by her. Yeah. But I mean, we're not, you're not looking at any, you may be looking at, at Mickey being a guy that, that contributes this year, but go Right. Right. Unless there's a rash of injuries, go just got to get bigger. Yeah. I mean, Sneed, like you said, that's, that's yeah, high on the definitely. list too. Um, yeah. Like, I, I have no concern that he'll get there. Um, Norris, I mean, he's one of those guys. They don't, for how highly he's rated, they don't need him to play right away. Uh, well, good, no, because he did not look like he was ready to play in the It'd spring. be nice if he could be a guy that uh, spells Kaiser in some type of speed package. Um, just because yeah. Kaiser shouldn't be taking 900 snaps. That doesn't work out well for anybody. It's, Drew Tranquil is a machine, and he didn't need to take 900 Yeah, but that right. Botello is going to get those reps. Yep, yeah. Those it reps. It's, those reps. We, um, we, you know, Jaden Thomas is a guy that, Yeah. right, it was suggested that he needs to fine-tune his body a little bit. I would say Rocco Spindler. I, I there I, goes the podcast. All I right, mean, Tim, I want to see so. Rocco Spindler look like <laughs> look like the Rocco Spindler that, that we're expecting. And again, to be fair, the kid's been here one year. I mean, he's just been, he's been here one year. So, yeah. um, you know, but I, I I think that you know that that's a that's a kid that could really fine tune his body. Uh, who else? Anybody? I, I don't. I'm trying to think of an upperclassman because freshmen don't. You know, freshmen that aren't going to play aren't supposed to be big enough yet to play. That's why they're. Yeah. That's how I mean, good I, programs work. I really like the way you know. I think Ryan Barnes looked really, really good and, and yeah, and in really great shape this this uh, spring. I guess going back to freshmen, Tui Halamaka and Ford looked really good. Yeah. No, I would agree. I would agree. A uh, question from what uh, Pete? You have anything there? Anything no, I, th- I think those those are the ones. Yeah. I mean, Jaden Thomas is like, I know he's a young player, but that was one that I heard like, you know, he needs to have a good summer, a good spring with mm-hmm. Bayless. To, I mean, just fine tune it. Yeah, you, you need to be, you need to look, you need to really look the part of wide receiver and they need you to. Wash ND, are there any real starting positions, battles, changes left for the fall outside of maybe left guard if Jarrett Patterson moves there? It feels like, most everything is settled as far as starters are concerned. And I think safety is one next to Brandon Joseph. I agree with you there. Yeah. Um, I don't think Mike matters because they'll both play Bauer and the assumed Bertrand, right? Mm-hmm. You're not going to, that is going to be a one, a one B when Marcus Freeman talks about one, a one B that that's one right there. Um, I don't think the defensive line matters a whole heck of a lot. Because they're all they're gonna you're gonna rotate eight to ten or ten easily. I mean, wide receivers open for competition. Yeah, you know maybe yes. 
I'm not, I'm not sure that Jaden Mickey's and I'm not sure Jaden Mickey, is there anything Jaden Mickey can do to be the starter in Ohio stadium? I'm, I don't, I don't know about that, that but tough to start the year with yeah, three experienced yeah, guys. I mean, right. And he'd have to get a lot bigger, um, but safety. I agree. I mean, I don't, you know, I mean, we keep saying Ramon Henderson, but DJ Brown has a ton of experience. <clears throat> Griffith has a ton of experience. Zero Xavier percent Watts surprise. A, if DJ Brown starts against Ohio state. I yeah, no, I agree. I, I agree with you. Yeah. I agree. But Again, that's this is a. I'm not sure how how the question is being asked. Well, first of all, I, I didn't quite understand. I mean, if Jared Patterson moves to guard, Jared Patterson's the starting guard. I, uh, they're probably wondering if it would be Kristoffic or Lug on the right no, side. It but would, we all know it would it's be Lug. Lug, so, yeah. Lug would start. Kristoffic is the one that. Yep. Um, that was know, a question on our message board. Why is it assumed it would be? lug and it's not because it's assumed it's because we know it would be lug <laughs> right <laughs> i was just we're you, not you we're don't not have to making, agree with it you can right. everybody we're not making opinion, the assumption no. we're not making right. the assumption the assumption is being made for us is, yes. is the way to put it but uh on a related note here you go go for it uh deck hole 66 i'm most intrigued by the move of Jarrett patterson to guard do you really think it will happen and if it does which guard spot does he take I know it's early, but do you believe Rocco Spindler makes a push for playing time this fall? This is like a dream scenario right here to yeah, talk about. No, it's it's left guard for Patterson. Uh, Lug stays a right guard, and I don't believe that Rocco Spindler makes a push. Well, makes a push for playing time. That's possible. I don't think he's going to make a push to start. I agree with all of that. Um, I do think the Patterson move will ultimately happen. Yes, I, I agree with that. And I, when I say that with Spindler, I'm talking about the fall of 2022. I'm not right. projecting beyond that. Yeah, because Kristoffic becomes the first guard off the bench, and maybe he's the first center off the bench. He would shift a little bit to working back like he did. If, I mean, I don't know how that <clears throat> worked for him last year. Remember, he worked as center before yeah. he was a guard. Um, I would think that removed, in talking yeah. to Harry, he's stand in March. I would think that if they move Patterson to left guard, which we all expect, that Patterson will still will still snap the football okay. in practices. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he would, be, he would be the center, and Andrew Kristoffic would be the left guard. That makes a lot. More I sense think I think so. Yeah, and and again, that's he stand. You know, he talked. I don't know if you were there, Tim, when I was talking to him about Alex Bars. I mean, Alex Bars. They the, yeah. the Chicago Bears put him at center. They're desperate. Their offensive line still stinks. Um, they, I mean, they were desperate and they put him at center, but because of his background on the practice field with Harry, he stand, he was, you know, he was capable of going in and, and playing that. But I would think that Patterson, uh, would continue to get some reps at center when, when, when the situation allows it, not so much once the season starts, but in August and, and times when it's a little bit more feasible. Kay Beasley, what are your thoughts on the NCAA's latest intervention and then trying to get he- get a hold of NIL? Step in the right direction, or is it too much putting the toothpaste back in the tube? Pete, why don't you start this? Because we talked about this last week, and I've written yeah. about it. Um, <laughs> I'm sick of that. So much sick. You know, but yeah, Pete, know. go ahead and start us on this. Uh, I mean, it's, it's there's too much toothpaste to get yeah. back in the tube now. Um, that doesn't mean you shouldn't put try to put some of it back in. Um, <laughs> right. You know, you shouldn't just accept the current state of affairs as like, well, there's nothing we can do. It's not we. There's a better solution than what they're on right now. I don't, I don't know what it is. Um, I think it was Gary Barta, the Iowa AD, talked about 
rolling back the transfer um, immediate eligibility waivers or not waivers, but like going back to how transfers were before I thought I, I hate the idea that you're going to essentially punish players because adults can't figure their stuff out. Like that's not good, but I, but I understand why the transfer going back to an older way would be beneficial to the sport. Um, I don't, but I don't, there are no great solutions for this. Um, I think Swarbrick and many other ADs have talked about uh, power five breaking off and coming up with their own legislation. That's seems, that seems to be like the most sensical uh, approach to it, but there's not a, there's not a, there's not a magic bullet for any of us. No, there really isn't. And I, and I want to say that, you know, talking about cliches, this is the last time I'm going to say it and write it with regard to toothpaste going back into the, the two, but I did have this conversation with Jack Swarbrick a few months ago. And I believe I used that expression at that point. And he said, you know, I don't agree because you can, you can enact rules, you can legislate, and then yeah. you can enforce it. It will be a little bit uncomfortable because you like you can't rescind the guys yeah, that have no. already signed NIL, yes. NIL deals, right? You can't. You yeah, can't nor, nor should you. No, I mean, you should not. Absolutely, you should not. But when I ma- when I said that expression to Swarbrick, he's like, "Nah, I don't know that I necessarily agree with you because you just you just legislate, you put things in motion." And then you enforce it, but that doesn't mean it's going to be an easy thing to accomplish. It, it's as usual on this podcast. It's both. It is a step in the right direction. Mm. You had to take a step. You had you, to take a step. Well, this- I don't know what took so damn long to take yeah. that step, but <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. Oh, I know. I, I, yeah. It's. I figured it was it like okay, they're not doing. Yeah. They're not doing anything because they just threw their hands up in the air and says we can't control this, and now they can. Or now they're going to try. I right. just didn't understand. Right. It's easy for us to sit on the outside and, and, and bitch and complain uh, about can, the NCAA. We could criticize this one. We could criticize well, the this, Yeah, this one yeah. I think that you can. Left. But I mean, everybody is, my entire career, I've listened to people say about the NCAA sucks and how they do things. Um, that's a thankless job. And, and, and were they proactive in helping prevent some of the, the situations that are happening now, of course not. It, and and that's on them. Um, but yeah, I had to wonder, okay, you're going to get involved now. What the hell have you been doing yeah. <laughs> during this time? And I'm, you know, I'm sure that there, there are things they're working on behind closed doors that obviously we're not privy to, but it just seemed like, okay, all of a sudden, okay, they're involved now. And, and something that, their involvement should have uh, happened before I mean, this. I don't want to belabor it, but yeah, their involvement should have never happened once things happened though. It, it was almost like they're like, Oh, that was this year. This is all becoming, I thought we still had time on this. Right. It was really weird. Like how do you not have something in place? Even if it doesn't, uh, even if it's not the proper thing to have in place, you have to have a plan. Either way, Dutter 25. Are you surprised by the immediate success Harry Houston has had on the offensive line in terms of recruiting? And do you feel Notre Dame will get, Monroe Freeling and Charles Jagusa. What success exactly? I, I mean, mean, I guess he brought in Pendleton and okay. Well, Pendleton's yeah. a, the lowest rated player in yeah. the, the class. <laughs> no. And I and I, you know, I like him. I mean, I think it I think he has the right frame of mind and mindset to be a a, a quality interior offensive lineman. Um, 
you know, and Absher's a good player. I, you know, you're saying they didn't bring in Rocco Spindler well, for, circa yeah. 2020, right? I mean, that's <laughs> no, I mean, me, that was, for, that was like a pod. That was a whole video of ours. That was a, no, no doubt that was to huge. me. Monroe Freeling is, is the crown jewel there. Mm-hmm. And so until that happens, uh, but I think Harry, he stand, I don't think there's any doubt that Harry, he stand has kind of a new lease on life on how he approaches recruiting. Yeah. He's got a head coach that backs him up on it. Exactly. So that helps. I, yeah. The day that I'm surprised about Notre Dame successfully recruiting offensive linemen is that will be the first time that ever happens. Yeah. I, yeah. That's I like Quinn successfully the, recruited offensive linemen. Yeah. I, I believe Frank Verducci was an excellent recruiter when he was at Notre Dame. Like it's, it is hard to not recruit offensive linemen incredibly well at Notre Dame. I'm not saying that nobody hasn't done it. It's it's happened. Yeah, there was two in a three year span once, or yeah. two in a two year span. Tyrone, once. A- but it's very difficult to to do that. And so Notre Dame having success, I have, especially with an offensive lineman the, with the resume of Harry Eastand. This, I mean, to me, this is just like this is good recruiting. Like I wouldn't even describe it as great recruiting on the offensive line. It's just, and that's if they get Freeling and Jagusa. Right. Like yeah. that's just yeah. that's yeah. what you have to do pretty much every time. I mean, Jeff yeah. Quinn's last haul is the reason why Harry Easton can walk in and say to himself, I want to get me some of that, like Tony Alford yeah. used to. <laughs> when yes. he looks at those guys, Blake Fisher, Joe Alt, and Rocco Spindler, you know, those were pretty I mean, Rock Spindler and Fisher were huge deals. And we should reiterate, we have not seen Rocco Spindler flash on the practice field because we saw two practices. It's like, I know somebody out there is taking too much into our Rocco Spindler conversation, but we have to say what we have seen, and it is not what we would have expected to see as much as we loved him on film. That's right. probably the fairest. And I think we all, we, I think we all had just, you know, people being people. We all had the same reaction when we heard Harry Heaston absolutely gush about Rocco Spindler, right? Like go out, going out of his way to gush about, or that's how it appeared to me. Do you agree with that, Tim? Yes, yes. And uh, but he was complimentary of his work ethic and everything. I thought that was a pretty big deal. Yeah, you weren't yeah. there. You, you, I was there. You weren't there. there. You yeah. were. I don't think I was there for that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it's it's coming along fine. But you know, if you would have asked me, if you would have asked a. Uh, 13 year old Tim Priester, whether, um, you know, you were surprised that Notre Dame's offensive line blocked that 85 yard run by um, Eric Pinnock in Notre Dame Stadium against USC. No, because they had great offensive lines back then, too. They've always had great offensive lines and always great, uh, great offensive linemen. Question for Play Like a Champ Seven Does Marcus Freeman ever make you feel like you have to work harder at your own job? Makes me want to private jet ride once in a while yeah i could write monday musings on the irish illustrated jet jack (laughs) (laughs) well that'd make life a lot easier wouldn't it (laughs) yes no it's i mean i don't know if you guys this is maybe a media question but you may disagree but like i think it makes our jobs incredibly easy because it's an entirely new cycle of stories to tell Whereas like if Brian Kelly was still here, that would, that would be the making your job difficult. It's like, what the hell am I going to write about in year 13? I've been writing the same story for five years. There's a lot of truth to that. You know, I would have gone to San Diego for the NSA tournament if it was Brian Kelly's 13th spring practice, as opposed <laughs> to Marcus Freeman's first. Um, 
I mean, I don't know. Brian Kelly might have gone with you. He might have. He might have bet you there. Yeah. I, I. I mean, I don't know. Marcus Freeman has an incredible amount of energy. Um, I'm not embarrassed by my work ethic. <laughs> yes, I like the question though. It is a good. Question. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to wrap up with a question from. Is this the uh, second Tim, one? From I, one? I, hate yeah, ahead, I will. I will say he does. I, I uh, am amazed at how much time he puts in his day because I can't believe how many things I have to do and he does more. No, no doubt. No, <laughs> no doubt. So... I'm not saying I exceed anything that he does. I'm just saying. But uh, I just realized we have two questions from Wash Indy. This is your day, and this is the last one. And it is: you are about to get in an Anchorman style street fight that escalates quickly the movie as in the movie anchorman which i know you guys know that i'm trying to let everybody else know which three current nordane players are you taking with you should we have a draft for this yeah okay because we're Uh, all taking michael mayer first (laughs) yeah i'm I'm definitely bringing michael mayer with me for the confidence alone uh, yeah actually i mean i agree but the first guy i wrote down was jordan batello (laughs) <laughs> yes i can't yes. believe i did not write that down first he would uh, he probably owns a trident as yeah. well yeah, uh well we have two then because there's no one not taking patello at this point uh that's that's fantastic i'm gonna take shroff he can take a punch uh yeah well i had i had patello mayor one two uh i you know and part of that and a large part of that is demeanor uh, whereas like I write down Howard cross because he has hands the size of buckets right. and um, I'm not sure that he necessarily has that kind of uh, street fight. Demeanor His demeanor is not the same as uh mayor and, but no, no one's think, the same as Botello. Uh, yeah. I, I would go, if you guys are going to take Botello, I, I would grab Leofow. I feel like he's got, yeah. a, you know, some of that too. And then, I mean, Blake Fisher just for, size i mean size. come on like valid too yeah i don't i mean i'm trying to think of other you know nice. like personalities that you know i mean i would say bo bauer but i you know i don't know that that lends mm, itself nice. to a street fight yeah yeah i would have taken heinish i would have taken kurt i would have taken heinish uh right I, I you know speaking of size i would speaking of first guys off the bus riley mills can go ahead and be the first guy off the bus wherever you go uh, but I think Botello and, my, and Mayer are are, uh, are the slam dunk top two. Yes, they are. They they, yeah, they definitely. There's are. no question about that. <laughs> let me <laughs> let me give it. Let me think. Okay, I won't look at receivers. Yeah, there's <laughs> nobody there. Yeah, you know, no, there isn't. I, I maybe I'd throw out uh, Xavier Watts. I was just gonna say, definitely, I just he's gonna Watts. strike. Yes. He's gonna, oh, he's uh, gonna strike you. He could scrap. It'd be interesting. Yeah, Billy Trout. <laughs> Billy Trout is in mind. <laughs> Trout is way up there. All right. We are wrapping up uh, Irish Illustrated Insider for today. A reminder in advance that we will not have a podcast a week from today, Monday, May 23rd, but we will have one on Tuesday, May 24th. And then looking ahead another week, uh, we're not going to have a podcast on Memorial Day, but we will have one on May 31st, Tuesday. So just a little alert, the next two podcasts as we start to head into the summer are on Tuesday. So we greatly appreciate you joining us and listening to Irish illustrated insider, listening, me, listening to me babble on and on. Uh, these guys are more concise than I am, but we have to live to live up, live to our strengths, don't we? Or weaknesses. We appreciate you joining us today, everybody. 
Until next Tuesday, this has been Irish Illustrated Insider.